Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Recorded live. Welcome to the Truth and Hope Report, uh, our uh, Super Tuesday edition. And uh, joining me from the heart of the Trump explosion is uh, David Oatney uh, in White Pond, Tennessee. Uh, David, good to have you there. Uh, here, it's, it's great to be there. I'm sorry we got started a little late. Um, I, I will say that um, uh, I, I'm. It's been an interesting night. Obviously, we're disappointed in the results, but uh, we'll, we'll talk. We'll uh, we'll we'll break it down. Yeah, um, it's it has certainly uh, been an interesting night. It's been uh, on the Democratic side a fair a very uh, good night for uh, Hillary Clinton. Um, a bit surprised. Um, I think the biggest surprise may be uh, Bernie Sanders' win in the state of Oklahoma. Which, even when you're talking about Democrats, um, that's not a state you really um, would expect um, Bernie Sanders to win. I think it does show some of Hillary's struggle to pick up the voters that um, she won the last time around, which were. Well, I think- I think we need to remember, and somebody mentioned this. I think it was I was watching CBS's uh, online feed earlier, and uh, I actually thought their commentary tonight was very good. They had some wonderful guests. They had Peggy Noonan uh, and many others. But someone mentioned, and I forget who, and I think they were dead on that one of the struggles that Hillary Clinton is going to have in the months ahead is that last time uh, she. She really targeted what was left of the old white Southern Democratic Coalition and the Union Democratic Coalition in the North. Um, that, of course, almost all of it has gone Republican, but she was targeting what was left of it. It was somewhat successful for her, but she didn't have the black vote. That went to Obama. This time, she's virtually abandoned that part of her old base and gone straight for the black vote. Some of those union voters um, have gravitated toward Bernie Sanders, um, some of the more radical elements in, in that vote, or some of those that are just feeling economically disadvantaged for various reasons. Uh, some of the same kind of frustrations we're seeing on the Republican side with Donald Trump. And I think, I think it's having an impact because those voters are feeling ignored uh, if they are Democrats by their own party. And... And their reaction is to go to Bernie Sanders. I, I, Bernie Sanders uh, cannot win the Democratic nomination, uh, but I think we would be naive to ignore what he has done in this election. We will see another candidate like him in the future. I think his kind of candidate is the wave of the future in the party opposite. I think we will see more like him that just 
flaunt their socialism in the open. I, I think they're going to be less afraid of that now that the Republicans are settling on well, somebody like Donald Trump, who yeah. is uh, also not afraid to be equally brash. Yeah, um, I, I think that uh, with um, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think that's sort of the way of the future. I, I think the big challenge for um, uh, the, the big challenge for the for the Clinton. Uh, for the Clintons, I mean, for the Democrats, is they just do not have a base. I mean, Bernie Sanders, is, you know, is running and is achieving success to the degree that he is um, because he's the only one out there. And, you know, 74 years old, it's like there's definitely a demand. Uh, I think the big challenge for the Democrats in coming years will be to deliver the uh, supply. And uh, though then again, that may require more understanding of economics than the Democrats can typically muster. Um, yeah, I, I would agree with that, except that, you know, I would normally have said that kind of candidate can't, uh, can't do well nationally, but, but all of the ideas about what works in politics have been blown out of the water over the last 48 hours. And so... All of the conventional wisdom that I studied for my political science degree about how stuff works uh, was gone. I think if I if I ever get a PhD in political science, I'm going to have to write a thesis about this election. Uh, I'm going to have to do a dissertation on it because it, it itself is study in how everything that you're taught about how things work in a in a democratic republic. It has just been blown clear to bits. Some ways that's good, in some ways it's very bad. Yeah, and I I think that certainly on the Republican side, uh, which we'll p talk about now, it, it really introduces an element of unpredictability. It's a fair question as to whether this will remain the case. Um, forever, or if this is a case of this being just a very disruptive um, election. Um, well, it, what I'm about to tell you is my opinion. I want to clarify that it's my personal opinion. Uh, it's not anybody else's opinion, but mine. Uh, there are going to be some people listening, maybe hear this, that don't like that opinion, uh, or uh, they're going to think that it's a controversial opinion since uh, I will I will soon be ordained. That's a that's a pretty well known fact around here locally. Uh, but it's my it's entirely my personal opinion. But I will tell you this. Um, I and, and let me begin this with an antidote. I was in a meeting the other night, and um, you know it, it was basically pointed out that, that Trump could be the nominee of the Republican Party. And you're already beginning to hear the narrative from some quarters, we must come together, we must come together, we must come together for the good of the party. The problem is, you know, in the past, uh, those of us of that, many times we've come together about candidates we're less than enthusiastic about because we know it's for the good, not only of the party, but of the country, that we unite behind whoever this is. In this case, 
I truly believe, first of all, I have no problem with most Trump supporters that I know. Today, um, you know, I had some very good friends that voted for Donald Trump today. Uh, I don't understand why they did. Really don't. Um, especially since some of them, I know their backgrounds, I know the kind of people they are. I do not understand for the life of me how they could, how they could do that. But they did. One person that's a very dear friend of mine ran as one of uh, Donald Trump's delegates today. I don't know if he won. Um, for, for his own sake, uh, I, I hope he did. He's a decent person. I'm sorry he's going to be committed for two ballots to uh, somebody like that. But I cannot in good conscience support this man. I believe that uh, his supporters are in many cases fine people his motives are not fine. He does not represent good things. I don't care what he says. He, if he is not racist, he is courting bigots and racists, really. And people that no Republican, no Democrat, no Independent, no decent person ought to court. He was afraid, basically, to to condemn racism, even though, yes, he's condemned, condemned it in the past, I understand that, yes, it's true, but the earpiece thing doesn't work. He was afraid to condemn racism, the rumor is circulating, because he was afraid he would lose Southern votes. He wasn't going to lose any Southern votes for condemning the Klan, I can assure you. He wasn't going to lose any Southern votes for condemning David Duke, I can assure you. Uh, the fact that he was unwilling to do so has lost the Republican Party as a whole, whose standard bearer he could very well be a tremendous amount of capital. Um, I would sit here and say that there's no way he could win the general election. I really believe that, except that I don't want to put my stamp behind that, because everything else we understand about politics has been shattered in the last 48 hours. So... Um, Watch, watch me be proven wrong in that. Um, the thing is, Adam, is that what if he were to win the general election? Should I be exuberant over that? Should you? Well, what kind of a world, what kind of a country would that be? How would we be viewed in the eyes of the world? Should I be excited about that? It's a Republican victory if he were to win, but gosh, uh, I, I can't get excited about the prospect of President Trump. I wish I could. I can't. Well, well, I, I and you know I think that it's it's a good point. I mean, uh, the idea of you know we'll get into talking about some of these states in a, a moment. The idea of President Trump, you know, you, you think about what Arnold Schwarzenegger did for California, um, and I think it'd be much worse than that. But I apologize for the train, by the way. Yeah, it's been a while since. Trump is, a, uh, Trump is a moderate, to, at the very least, if we can call him a Republican at all, and I question that, um, he is a moderate to liberal person, certainly of a Rockefeller, Wall Street kind of Republican, if you can call him a Republican. His background is as a Democrat and a liberal one, is that. Everyone that I've talked to that is a Trump supporter has ignored these realities about his background. It is as though none of those things about his past matters. It would matter if it were any other candidate, but for Donald Trump, it doesn't matter. 
I don't understand this. Uh, I was called out tonight, and if you read the Facebook uh, group, the event that you established for this primary evening on Facebook, one of my very dearest friends, she knows who she is, I won't mention her name in here, um, but one of my very dearest friends says I was mean uh, and mean-spirited toward the Donald in a post I made there this evening that you've probably seen. If you haven't, you can go there and look at it now. Uh, I, I, as a joke, some people would take it as a mean joke. I don't. I think it's downright funny. I posted the Klan scene from the movie The Old Brother, Where Art Thou? and said there was a big Trump rally tonight to celebrate Super Tuesday. Um, and um, uh, some people, there were some folks that uh, didn't like that very well. Uh, I I really think I don't. Th let me clarify something. I don't think Trump is a racist himself. I do think he's appealing to these elements and he doesn't care. Those elements are are gravitating toward Trump. It should frighten him. That yeah. happens. Barry Goldwater, who was a good and decent man, who I believe would have been a great president, one of the greatest we ever had probably the greatest president we never had. Um, and but, but one of the things that happened to him is that these, these groups, these kinds of groups, this clan and things, were gravitating toward him. And he could not shake that. The, the Democrats used it against him. And I have to tell you, from a raw political perspective, they were right to do so. That's a legitimate political concern. The nominee of a major political party is being upheld and supported by the Ku Klux Klan while we're trying to have civil rights. Big deal. The Democrats were not wrong to use it. They certainly would have slanted things in a political way, uh, the way that happens in election years, and they did in 1964. We all remember the famous Daisy ad. But... The root of all those complaints about Goldwater had to do with the fact that these hate groups were gravitating toward him, and he could not shake that reputation, even though he was not a hater. The same kind of thing is going to happen with Trump, except that he comes across in a way that is so hateful. I mean, he, he demeaned a disabled reporter. Right. That was the incident that that was the incident that uh, that finally ticked me off to the reality that I could never support this man. He has openly said that we need to commit war crimes in the name of the United States of America by saying that we need to go after terrorist families. Well, terrorists are war actors. We have to presume, under not only international law but the standards of human decency, that their families are innocent until proven guilty. And very often their families... Um, had nothing to do with their terrorism. Trump is saying we should kill their families. That's a war crime. It's Nuremberg worthy. Yes. This this is this is the kind of thing. This is the kind of man the Republican Party is now the front runner. He has amassed huge delegates tonight. He is not the nominee. He's nowhere near that threshold. But the path to stop him is getting very very narrow. I cannot condone this.
I cannot participate in it. It is morally wrong. It is sinful. I will not have anything to do with it. I understand that I've had friends, dear friends, people I love, who, who feel differently. I, I, I can't control that. I love them. I continue to love them. I continue to love who they are. Uh, I'll leave that to God. But I cannot remain silent in the midst of this filth. It is wrong. It is wrong for the Republican Party. It has the potential to destroy the Republican Party. And the thing about it is that we all need to remember here, Adam, is for, for years we've heard falsehoods from the left about what the Republican Party is about. Yeah, I heard slurs about Klan and bigotry and racism that we knew weren't true. But guess what? In one election cycle, we're making them true. Yeah, and I, I honestly, David, um, think that, um, or one thing I have wondered is whether the Republican Party even survives as a viable political brand after um, Trump, if he is indeed the nominee. Let's let's get into talking about specific states. Now, there's a very interesting. Um, dynamic here, because it, in most states, Trump was hovering around in the 20s and 30s, where he has been. Um, but uh, the exceptions to that are in Massachusetts, where he got 48% of the vote. And he got in Alabama, he got 45%. Um, and uh, Georgia, um, 40, uh, 40% even, and then, of course, we have uh, Tennessee with 40%. So uh, Tennessee and Georgia a little bit lower, but his biggest states are Alabama and uh, Massachusetts. Now, that is quite an odd pairing of states um, in terms of – two very different states, two very different Republican parties uh, that Donald Trump is um, winning such a big margin in. Well, I think we have to be honest. Now, this is where we're going to be honest. I was very honest with you just a moment ago about my personal feelings in all this. We have to be honest. We cannot say that this man does not have, a, at this point, a, a growing mandate for the nomination because he's winning such many and varied states as... Alabama, Tennessee, and Massachusetts. Uh, we, we together almost never agree on anything inside the Republican Party. New England is the home of, of, um, of Rockefeller Republicanism. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's the antithesis of the Republicanism down here. Uh, but today we saw... Um, New England agree with the South on a candidate. Um, I've never quite seen that kind of unanimity in my lifetime. Interestingly enough, several people have pointed out to me that the states where this was the where the exception was true, and somebody other than Donald Trump came out the winner, were were those states with a closed form or some form of closed primary. Um, which goes along with something I've said from the beginning of all this, that Democrats were helping this process along. They clearly believe that Donald Trump um, would benefit Mrs. Clinton. 
And I, I think they're right. I don't know. Doubt that one bit. Well, I, I would say I am not. I think that has been the case throughout the process. What I'm really wondering is whether that is continuing to remain the case. Um, because for there are two states, um, one that has been called and one which is still too close to call. First is uh, Virginia, where Donald Trump's margin of victory was less than 3% of the vote, which was way below the polling expectations. Uh, Marco Rubio actually got 32% of the vote there. And for a large extent, it was uh, independents coming out and voting in the primary. And what has, and there has been, you know, and I was reading in the Washington Post, there has been this realization by independents and some Democrats of, oh my gosh, this man could get nominated. And, um, and not only that, he could get elected president of the United States. And, you know, if it's just a joke to gum up the work, sure. But some responsible people said, um, this is no joke. This man is dangerous. Um, and in Virginia, and so in Virginia, uh, he barely won that state. I think the last poll that I saw coming out of Virginia had Donald Trump up by uh, 14% and he won it by less than 3% um, over Marco Rubio. And uh, and that is a very, um, that's a very big um, uh, sign, because as much as we, is, it is derided that this is over, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, the fact is that we've had 15 states um, weigh in. And, well, actually only 14 because the Alaska caucus will be completed later on tonight uh, in completing Super Tuesday. I'm kind of wondering why they held an event on Super Tuesday um, at this rate. But at any rate, Alaska will be later, but we've had 10 states, and by the time this is done, we will have a total of 15 states that have voted. And I think that in many cases we had early voting, we had things of that sort, and we had a very different dynamic. Um, and I think in Virginia, there is a sign that there is, you know, that um, there are ways in which a lot of these late-breaking news stories may still present some trouble for Donald Trump. Um, Vermont is very surprising because that one, John Kasich is putting up an incredibly strong night. Um, he's only 1.3% back of Donald Trump. 72.4% of the vote is uh, in, but it's still too close to call in the state of Vermont at this hour. Um, well, and, uh, let's say this. Uh, John Kasich has done very well in New England throughout this. He, he spent a lot of time in New Hampshire. I'm sure that, that in Vermont they're feeling the effects of this. And I, I think that uh, he could put up a fight if he had had the time. I don't think that he does at this point. I, I, I don't see a clear path for him. As a matter of fact, 
I'm not sure how anybody gets the, the nomination by the normal process. Uh, the only way that I can see at this point, Adam, that Donald Trump could be stopped would be if somehow people were to wake up and vote in, in the remaining primaries and this were to go to the convention. Um, you know, if, if Donald Trump is even one delegate short of the majority, which is 1,237, uh, there, there's a way to stop him. Uh, and, and in some ways, the, because both um, Donald, uh, Donald Trump has directly called on Marco Rubio to leave the race tonight, um, and Ted Cruz kind of did so in a roundabout way, saying any candidate who has not run, won a state should consider leaving the race. Um, well, but, I think we have to ask ourselves that question. Um, you know, at this stage in the game, if you're calling yourself a front runner, but you've not won a state, um, well, I don't make that claim at this point. I, I, well, I, at this point, I should say that Marco Rubio is leading in the state of Minnesota. Um, no call yet, but 37% of the vote in the Minnesota caucuses. So he could very well have his state by the end of the night. That would give him delegates, perhaps, and that would give him an opportunity. Uh, he's got to be able to make his case. In, uh, he's got to be able to make his case in some of these winner-take-all states, because here's where it's going to get, get real very fast. Not every state that votes after March 15th is winner-take-all. But all the winner take all states vote after March fifteenth. Yeah. And on that day on that day, Ohio and Florida vote. If Rubio cannot win his own home state, I don't see a path forward for Marco Rubio. Uh, I I think that it's it's would definitely be a challenge. The important thing and, and I think you know the thing you have to look at, Mark. You know, as Marco Rubio tonight, is the fact that these states. This is, you know, and by the way, Ted Cruz won the state of Texas, and more importantly, he won the state of Oklahoma tonight. I think if all he had been able to say is "I won Texas," uh, it would have been big whoop to do. Um, I think everybody expected him to win Texas. He did well in Oklahoma, and that's good for. Ted Cruz. Right, um, but the, the the problem is these states are the states that he has laid the groundwork um, in for the longest time uh, to be able to compete in. And, you know, you take a look at, and Marco Rubio is not running that far behind him in these states. And once you get out of the Oklahomas, the Texases, you get into even Virginia. And Ted Cruz only got 17% of the vote there. And it's basically a situation where uh, Ted Cruz uh, seems to be a candidate with very regional um, appeal. And if you're going to lay the groundwork in the South, in fact, he himself said that this was do or die day for him. He was the one who said that this this day would would do it for him, and the the disappointment for Ted Cruz today has to be the fact. Yeah, he did well in Texas, he did well in Oklahoma, but 
you know, he was expecting to do well throughout the Deep South and the Mid-South today. And that didn't happen. Donald Trump cleaned his clock and everybody else's. Donald Trump went right for the evangelical base and got them in a lot of those states. Yeah, and by uh, right, those should have been Ted Cruz's voters. Well, and I think that, I mean, to be honest, this to me, uh, with Ted, with the Ted Cruz campaign, a lot of this goes back to the decisions that were made in the state of Iowa and that were made by evangelical uh, leaders throughout the country. Um, and that was to go with Ted Cruz because Ted Cruz was able to raise money from the millionaires and the billionaires. And so they basically said, you know, yeah, we're going to go ahead and we'll essentially marginalize um, Mike Huckabee and Rick Santorum. And we will make it so that, you know, essentially these guys, they're going to be pushed out of the race uh, in short order because we're not giving them endorsements. Uh, Governor Huckabee, you know, he said there were people who went into his living room and said, you know, you've got to run for president. And then when he ran, the money that uh, that was promised was, and the resources were not there. And as a result, you get Ted Cruz. But the problem with Ted Cruz is his appeal is a very narrow ideological uh, one in general. That is what it has been throughout the process. And he really showed no signs of improving until um, Oklahoma, uh, which is a neighboring state, uh, but was still a state where people came out mainly, you know, and a somewhat interesting thing because each of the candidates has their own sort of wheelhouse uh, when it comes to what type of voters. People who come out and they vote for somebody based on the fact that um, the candidate stands on their val values, they, they tend to vote for Ted Cruz. If they come out and they're voting on electability, they tend to vote for Rubio. And if they come out and they just want somebody who says what he means, that, that tends to be Trump's constituency. When Huckabee won Iowa, he won voters in that state who were looking for a candidate who says what they mean. And in terms of, and Cruz, I think, has been way too lawyerly uh, to kind of be able to capture and really consistently compete with uh, the Donald. Um, so while these two ends are impressive, um, I don't think they are definitive of Ted Cruz um, being some um, national great hope who is going to be a national candidate who can compete with Donald Trump in the East in April and in California uh, and throughout the country. Um, so I, I think that, well, I think that Ted Cruz uh, can be glad for what he's gotten. This is by no means what he, what he really needed. He needed a knockout punch, and he didn't get it. And he got, you know, things such as his distant third in Virginia, as well as any other state that was um, outside of his wheelhouse, just really not doing well in. And we should yeah. mention that. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, what was really telling to me 
uh, though, Adam, was the fact that we were talking about Donald Trump and Ted Cruz, and for that matter, Marco Rubio. When I told you the traditional rules of politics are exploded here, um, to my understanding and knowledge, uh, from what I've been able to see where I am, and obviously we, we had Super Tuesday here in Tennessee today, uh, both Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio had a good ground game here. They had people on the ground in counties and in regions representing them. Uh, I, I know who some of Marco Rubio's delegates are, for example. I know those people. I know whose regional people are. I know who his, some of his county people are. I go to church with some of them. Uh, I, I know who Ted Cruz's regional, uh, regional director is. Uh, I'm, I'm familiar with who these people are. They live here. That, they have a good, good, good game on the ground. I couldn't tell you for the life of me who is representing officially Donald Trump in my part of the world. He, he had next to no ground game. I didn't even see any Trump signs around here until very, very late in the game. And yet, he, he, he carried my county tonight in what I would call overwhelming numbers, around 46%. And you're thinking in your mind, where does this come from? Uh, all, all the rules have been shattered. And the thing about Ted Cruz is that he was not prepared for that. I think he thought that you know he could play by a certain set of rules and um, that the traditionally candidates on the conservative side of things and particularly candidates targeting evangelical voters can play by and they generally work. Nothing that normally works works this year. Nothing. Nothing. I can't explain all of it, but I can tell you that once we figured out that nothing that ordinarily works works this year, we should have recalibrated things, and I say we collectively. Certainly Ted Cruz should have, and he didn't do that, and I think it cost him dearly. Yeah, he really hasn't really found a way outside of his ideological uh, wheelhouse, but uh, certainly we, we do have plenty of primaries. Even between March 15th, we do have primaries and caucuses coming up on Saturday. We have Kansas, we have Kentucky, and um, we uh, we also um, and we also have the Louisiana primary, which it will be interesting to see how that plays out. In the state of Arkansas, Donald Trump has won that state. Um, currently, 33.8% for Trump, 29% for Ted Cruz, and 24.9% for Marco Rubio. Um, what we're seeing throughout the South. Uh, I can look at the results tonight and see them in my own county. I see them elsewhere in counties throughout my own state. I, th I see them in other southern states outside of Texas and Oklahoma. Is this consistent pattern? Trump, Cruz, Rubio. Trump, Cruz, Rubio. And Trump is doubling over Cruz and Rubio in a lot of locations. Um, I don't know. People are saying, well, one of them needs to get out. With the kind of local numbers I'm seeing, not only in my area, but other places, I don't know if one or the other of them getting out could necessarily beat Donald Trump with the kind of numbers he's putting up in certain locations. Well, uh, again, I, again, I do think it, you know, it does definitely vary by state. Um, Arkansas, 33%, a lot closer than we're seeing, than we're seeing in Tennessee. Um, I think that there is there is that dyna uh, dynamic 
and uh, I th- and I, and I I think in terms of a potential broker convention, when it comes to proportional states, it may be helpful to have uh, candidates actually hanging around because you know if a candidate drops out, he can't control where every one of his supporters are going to go. Um, and you may see more delegates going away from Donald Trump and leading into that brokered uh, convention the more candidates you continue to have in the race. Well, I think that there's always a possibility that we could see some kind of a brokered convention, or or as I prefer to call it, I think the word that they're using here in Tennessee is a little bit more appropriate, contested convention. Right. Traditional convention, as I like to call it. Um, and, you know, that, that could happen. But again, we have to look at uh, delegate um, numbers. Uh, we have to look at delegate numbers because... If Trump goes into the convention with the number of pledged delegates at, at that number, very likely he's going to get the the nomination if he gets 1,237 delegates. Uh, it, it's going to be very hard to stop him if that's the case. If he's short of that number, you know, traditionally they'll take a candidate that goes in a little bit short of that number, handful of delegates short, and they'll go ahead and put him over because it's clear that there is a mandate and there's a movement in that direction. But in this case, there's a lot of discontent in the party. They may look for an opportunity to stop Donald Trump and manipulate the rules to um, uh, you know I I really I'm having a hard time grasping what is happening. I understand completely when I talk to the many of the Trump supporters that I know that are that are friends um, how disenchanted they are with the establishment when I say I feel their pain I really do uh, I, I, I know what that feels like Adam you and I I think both do because we've both been involved in some of these campaigns with candidates that were dismissed because we were outside of that establishment we understand the discontent, but I, you know, and if I thought this was a healthy reaction against a discredited establishment, and that's what we were dealing with here, and that's all we were dealing with here, uh, then I would would be happy to jump on the bandwagon and support Mr. Trump, whether or not I felt that he was the right choice or not. I would have thought, well, hallelujah, it's it's an anti-establishment bombshell. It's a party cleansing. Well. This is something else. Um, I think that's what the supporters want. I think Donald Trump is looking for other things. I think Donald Trump has an agenda of his own. I don't think we fully know what that agenda is. I've heard even conspiracy theories about this that don't seem so far-fetched anymore. Uh, One that I've heard, uh, (laughs) coming from someone that I trust even, suggested that Donald Trump might even be working for the Clintons to ensure Hillary Clinton victory in November. Uh, I've been told that uh, that uh, that's not a uh, that's not a uh, uh, small time crazy conspiracy theory anymore. That I'm not the only one who has promoted that idea. Yeah, I I, I mean I think that's certainly possible. And the thing is, it's I, I think it 
it is really the um, um, I'm trying to say the find the nicest word to say uh, way to say they're being oblivious, but um, I guess I'll just say yeah the obliviousness of Trump supporters. Because I was listening, you know, I just happened to tune into Sean Hannity while I was out and about, and I heard a Trump supporter calling in and saying that, you know, people always call Trump on the fact that, uh, you know, he doesn't have any specific plans, but that's his uh, genius. You know, he doesn't lay out specifics. Certainly when he gets to be the nominee, uh, he'll lay out you know, what specifics he has. And I was sitting there, I said, you know, that makes Donald Trump the Obamacare of presidential candidates. Um, We'll find out what's in his platform when we nominate him. Um, I mean... It's like Nancy Pelosi. We need to pass the health care bill so I know what is in it. (laughs) Yeah, and, and that's the thing. It's just incredible... Um, that people are falling for that. And it's that they are, you know, uh, imbuing Trump with a lot of qualities he does not have to make up for Ron Paul, um, to make up for whatever anti-establishment candidate that's been kicked down the road. And it is a mistake. It is an absolute uh, mistake which we say in the course of our non-biased um, election analysis, but uh, just honestly, honestly, it's, it, it is a huge, a huge mistake. And I think that already we are starting to see the gathering of um, data, uh, you know, against Trump, uh, a, you know, as even the general public is just becoming more aware. John Oliver did an incredible uh, video uh, expose of Donald Trump uh, comedy routine uh, that has already got more than 2 million views. And a poll came out today showing Donald Trump losing to Hillary Clinton by eight points. Um, but Trump supporters just insist that if any has the highest unfavorable rating recorded by Gallup. However, Trump supporters insist that once Trump actually gets the nomination, people will decide they like him. And it's just, no, it just does not work that way um, in any way, shape, or form. No, it does not. And I should say that at this point, uh, it does really appear like uh, Marco Rubio has the... um, Minnesota caucuses, very well in hand. Uh, It's a caucus, um, so 53% reporting, uh, but Marco Rubio holding a 9.3% lead in that uh, caucus state, um, which at least, if he's able to do that, will get the you-have-to-win-a-state monkey off of his back. Yeah, it'll give him some justification to remain in the race, um, you know, I, 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 it, it's getting harder and harder. I support these candidates staying in. They, they all need to. Those that want to stay in at this point, I don't think it's hurting anything. If you're really looking for truth and you're looking to stop uh, Donald Trump, 
um, and that's what you're looking to do, stay in, you know. Um, the worst that can happen at this point is that your efforts uh, go down to defeat and Donald Trump is nominated in Cleveland in July. Um, if Donald Trump is nominated, and it's like I've told several people, you know, I'm more than willing to eat humble pie when it comes to Donald Trump. I'm more than willing to be completely wrong about this man. I am. I hope I am. I hope he is nominated, that he then turns around and wins in a great landslide victory, and then is the next Ronald Reagan. I really hope and pray that that is what we experience with Donald Trump. It is precisely because I do not believe that. I believe he is going to be the opposite of all of that is, that I feel the way I do. I hope and I pray that that is not the case. Um, but I, I believe also, based on these results that we're seeing, that the people supporting Donald Trump, I think what I just described to you, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for a Reagan kind of figure to speak to their hopes, to speak to their frustration with the establishment, and to give them the answers that they need. Ronald Reagan did that. I don't think yeah. Donald I'm not certain they're looking for hope as much as they're looking for somebody who will burn things down. Um, Certainly. You know, he reminds me of what uh, John Adams said once about Thomas Paine. We all know Thomas Paine was the great author of Common Sense, right, and The Crisis, the, the great pamphlets of, of the American Revolution. But he also went on to do some very dreadful things in France and elsewhere, become a militant atheist and, and other things. Uh, Adams said about Payne that he was great at tearing things down, but very bad at building. Yeah. And I, I, um, that this is what Donald Trump reminds me of. He's great at tapping into people's frustrations and 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 burning it down. But being a being a builder, and he, he's not a uniter because if he were. I would not have said at the top of this program how it is impossible for me in good conscience to support this man. I supported Mitt Romney, even though I thought he was unelectable. I held my nose and voted for John McCain, even though I knew he was unelectable. Um, I, I, I've supported the nominee of the Republican Party for as long as I have been old enough to vote. The very idea that I would ever do anything other than vote Republican is as alien and foreign to me as, uh, you know, some sort of alien spaceship. I, I can't fathom it. But, but this is what we are faced with. And I don't think I'm alone. No, and um, Megan McCardle um, for, has the very good pace out where she actually um, did, posted, uh, asked people who had posted Never Trump, who that was their position, to send in their letters, and she got a lot of very well thought out concerns about the man's character, what it would mean for the national security of America. And these were from, you know, died-in-the-wall Republicans, people who had served in office, people who had, you know, and she didn't use names in there. But it really does explain so much of 
why people have this problem uh, with Donald Trump. And the one thing I, you know, I will actually go ahead and go out on a limb and say this. People who have listened to this program, and I know that there are people out there who have obsessively listened to all 700 episodes of my program, um, at least I assume there to be. That, that's just what I need for my ego. It's less than Trump, so don't get on me about it. But um, I am, have been a very big critic of Mitt Romney. Um, throughout the 2008 campaign, throughout the 2012 campaign. But let me say, if um, if uh, Donald Trump is the nominee of the Republican Party and Mitt Romney runs a credible third-party campaign I and, and he doesn't you know, change a bunch of his positions from 2012, I would vote for Mitt Romney as an independent. Um, and I would vote no, for it no, gladly. I, I would, but I'm going to tell you, I'll tell you what my wife said about that when I presented the idea to her that we might uh, run Mitt Romney. She said, again? Yeah. She said, well, she, she said, twice he's run, twice he's been defeated. What makes us think he would be credible a third time? I, I would well, vote for Romney to, to, to say in good conscience that I was able to vote for a Republican without having to vote for Trump. But um, I, I think well, um, we could do better than that by getting someone who perhaps we wouldn't have otherwise considered, who whose bona fides we can otherwise uh, clear. Well, not I, just that be, but that would be good. Well, be the ultimate goal. Well, I think, and, and I think the big arguments that um, Mitt Romney, Mitt Romney could make. Number one is that he can sell fun. And, and number two, um, I, I think to be charitable, um, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump both have character issues. Mitt Romney does not. Mitt Romney has character that is, in terms of his personal character, in terms of the way he runs his business, he has character that is solid gold. You very well could have a Republican nominee who is on trial for fraud and a Democratic nominee who is being indicted by the federal government um, over the email scandal. And in that sort of election, where you're, you're, people would flock, or if not flock, would at least consider somebody with human decency, who has lived a life uh, you know, of character, uh, goodness, and I think that would... I think that that would be the strength of a Romney effort. In many ways, I think Romney's biggest problem, or one of his big problems, and it's a problem faced by a lot of that you can explain why candidates lost, is they ran in the wrong year. Um, Mitt Romney ran as this guy who could, who was a businessman, who was experienced, 
uh, he didn't. He only had one term as governor. Most of his experience was in the private sector. You know, if he goes ahead and he makes that run and he says, you know, I'm reasonable, I'm trustworthy, you don't have to worry about me having the nuclear button, you know, and you don't have to worry about me being on trial. My character, my reputation are strong. In this election year, with the crooks we're going to have that we may have running up, I think that there that there is an appeal that Mitt Romney could offer, you know, in that sort of three-way race. The big challenge, of course, is that he has got to get started um, fairly quickly. And yeah, I think get started now. The other thing is that he somehow has to avoid, and this is my qualm about Romney. Um, there are plenty of people who don't like Trump who equally don't like the party establishment. And this, this, this potential coalition needs to be seen as something that isn't just an establishment effort. And I fear that if Romney is the choice of this kind of a grouping, that it would be, oh, well, this is just the angry establishment rebelling against Trump. It needs to be the same people of the party, no matter what their persuasion is, rebelling against Trump. It needs to be a large chunk of people, and we need to all commit ourselves that we're going to do this purely based on principle, uh, regardless of the outcome. Well, that that certainly is something we will have to see how that um, goes in the weeks and months ahead. And as I said, the Republican process is not um, quite over as much as the media wants it to be. And as much as a lot of the candidates would just rather some people um, uh, got out and stopped challenging them. Um, and, because, of course, uh, Mitt Romney would like, um, you know, it's a weird thing that um, uh, Donald Trump directly calls on Marco Rubio to leave the race. You know, that is a, a very interesting um, thing for Trump to do. And if anything, that indicates he should stick around um, because there is, you know, we've had uh, 15 states vote. We've got uh, more than 20-plus to go, and it is a long process despite what the media tells you. And we are going to have to let it play out let people see what happens, and um, I guess we will go ahead and leave it there. Um, well, I, let's say let's say, let's say this. No, I want to leave with this. I agree with what you're saying, Adam. But what we have to remember is this: I'm, I'm hoping we don't have to go third party, and then people do let it play out, and we see a a change in the wind. We'd much rather have that, right? And but with what what we, what I'm afraid here is that in the past, you know, the party has been keen to call on into this stuff. Uh, once you have somebody with clear momentum right now, like what we're seeing with Donald Trump, rather than let it play out till June or July. So, uh, I, I I think in this case the party, I, I think the the party is quite uh, terrified of the consequences to Trump up and down the ticket. 
I mean, I don't think that the party was particularly terrified of what nominating John McCain or Mitt Romney was going to do to it. I, I mean, perhaps they should have been with McCain, but they have a strong bias towards moderate people who they view as somewhat sensible. I don't, I, I mean, at this point, more of the party has been coalescing behind Rubio and then has been going to Trump. And certainly you'll see some Rubio people breaking. I agree with you, but here's the thing. The impression has been given that Rubio's kind of the establishment candidate. We know he didn't start out that way. But I'll put it this way. Marco Rubio had a rally in Knoxville. And who shows up to speak for Marco Rubio? You've got all of, every establishment character in this state, it seemed like, showed up. The governor was there. Uh, Lamar Alexander showed up. Well, to, to anybody that is kind of an anti-establishment Republican, those people in this state are the epitome of the country club establishment. And I think that, that's fine that they're not endorsing Donald Trump. That's great. But it, it it does more to paint this um, paint this picture of that's the establishment and the Trump people are all anti-establishment rah rah re this is really a rebellion against the establishment and what we need is somebody that can reach out to both of those p parts of the party the the traditional establishment and maybe those that aren't so traditional establishment and but but who who really find Trump un, unpalatable. Um, well, and, and I, I think you, you do have a point there, and certainly that, you know, and, and I think the big challenge is, you know, certainly um, Ted Cruz doesn't speak to um, a lot of the um, uh, establishment voters to or establishment leaders, to put it mildly. And, you know, in fact, that's one of his big talking points. The problem is is that he's going to if he's going to beat Trump and if he thinks he's going to do that in a one on one race, he's got to um, he's got to get a lot of these people behind them, and it's you know and I think the one great argument for Rubio at this point you know in addition to the fact that he has just been declared the winner of the Minnesota caucuses. But the great argument for Rubio is that he can a lot more easily reach out to some anti-establishment folks than Cruz can re reach out to people who are more inclined to the uh, establishment. And, and I, I think that that will continue to be the big uh, issue. And one of the big things that will keep Rubio in the race is the fact that there are people he can win that uh, Ted Cruz can't. And as you, you know, as we've said, there are a lot of proportional states that are still out there. And one thing also to keep in mind, we're dealing with a long race, and this is going to be a lot similar, more similar in some ways to 1976 than it has been any sort of modern uh, contest where everything is all over because you have someone where there is deep passionate uh, resistance within the Republican Party at all sorts of levels uh, in a way that we have not seen before and 
we're going to see, I think, this race drag on into April, into May. And Marco Rubio has said that if it comes down to it, he'll go out in his pickup truck and um, just drive across the country trying to stop Donald Trump. Yeah, and, so good for him. I'm for, at this point, I'm for anybody that can stop Trump. Yeah. Uh, and I, I will support anybody that will stop Donald Trump. Yep. All right. <laughs> Well, we've got uh, Mr. Trump, Mr. Trump, or or Trump, as his Trump family as his family name um, was before it was changed to sound more posh, um, has won the night, but he didn't get the sweep. He didn't get the sweep actually that John Kasich um, predicted he would get. And I kind of wonder whether that was Kasich playing an expectations game thing with Trump, um, particularly with as close as it still is. At, at this point, we still don't know who will win Vermont, and John Kasich, very surprisingly, still in contention to win the state of Vermont. It's still too close to call at this hour. Um, well, there is some distance. There, there apparently is some distance developing in Vermont between Donald Trump and John Kasich. It's not a lot, but it is enough. Uh, with seventy-eight uh, percent of precincts, seventy-nine now percent of precincts reporting. So, uh, unless John Kasich again picks up several hundred votes, Donald Trump appears that he could be headed for victory in the state of Vermont. I wouldn't call it yet, but but the, the trend is is there. Uh, there of about about 150 votes, but it's pretty consistent. Yeah, it's uh, 16,073 to 15,285. And uh, uh, also we should check in on the Democrats. Uh, Bernie Sanders uh, doing well in the caucus state of, Cal of Colorado. And uh, in I think the state, uh, may win the state of Colorado tonight. That'll be interesting to see. Yeah, and he's also up, though he's not. Though unlike uh, Marco Rubio, he has not been called the winner in the state of uh, Minnesota. But he's got a good lead in that caucus state. So Hillary's going to walk away with um, most of the um, sub, uh, most of the southern states. Um, you know, Oklahoma's kind of Midwest, so pretty much all the southern states voting today. Um, she also is currently leading, though um, uh, though not certainly not a lock in the state of Massachusetts, which is a bit surprising given that uh, Bernie Sanders hails from uh, Vermont. And, of course, Bernie Sanders is also winning Vermont. So we'll see how far um, uh, Bernie Sanders wants to carry this race. Um, oh, and Hillary Clinton winning the uh, caucuses in American Samoa by a 68 to 25 margin over Bernie Sanders. And uh, a lot of states and even territories, um, I, I think one key uh, – moment uh, on the Republican side is uh, we will have uh, this Sunday, we'll have Puerto Rico voting, and, you know, I would be surprised if Puerto Rico goes for Donald Trump. 
Um, and Puerto that was Donald Trump. Um, that that would be, I, I would think, a sign of the apocalypse. Adam. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that is a great opportunity for uh, Marco Rubio. And, of course, uh, Saturday will certainly tell a lot, and we do have another debate coming up on Thursday. And I think overall, uh, certainly this is a big night for Donald Trump uh, on the Democratic side, a big night for Hillary Clinton, and a big night for Donald Trump. However, uh, neither got, you know, I, I, Hillary probably came closer to having this just overwhelming win. Um, Donald Trump uh, certainly will walk away with the lion's share of the states, um, but he, he's not going to sweep. Um, he's lost um, three of the uh, three of the states tonight: uh, Texas, Oklahoma, and uh, Minnesota. And in Vermont, it's very much touch and go. And in the state of Virginia. Uh, I think you also got a great picture of how Trump's appeal can be very limited and can also be um, defeated and undermined. Uh, it was a tough night, I think, for Ted Cruz um, because he survived, but just. Um, and it, it was uh, it was a mixed night for Marco Rubio, who did very well in Virginia, uh, who won Minnesota. And really uh, finished right on Ted's uh, Cruz's heels in um, in most of the southern states, um, except for uh, Oklahoma and Texas, and uh, I think sir, I don't see anybody dropping out after tonight. Not even Dr. Ben Carson, who wants a meeting of the candidates to discuss the tone and civility of the race. Um, I, I, don't, I mean, I'm, I, I commend him for talking about tone and civility, but I don't understand what that would mean for him. At this point, he has no shot at, at being nominated dog catcher. Um, you know, yeah. what is, what's in it for Ben Carson to have that? Um, I, you know, I, I, I commend him for this desire for Tone uh, to tone it down, but um, I would think that one of the remaining candidates. I'd like to see Donald Trump lead that meeting and talk about how he's going to tone it down and he's going to act like a civilized human being. But um, you know, Dr. Carson apparently thinks he can benefit from something. I'm not quite sure what's going on there. Well, I mean, the thing with Dr. Carson is that he is. I think if you um, credit Dr. Carson with having uh, some sort of grand strategy. You're probably, um, I don't think that's the case. I think with Dr. Carson, he's a first-time candidate. He's running on really an idealistic sort of um, uh, platform where his view is the people have given him money to his campaign and until he totally blows through all the money that he's received, he will continue to campaign uh, to so that he can go out there and represent all the people who have contributed to and supported his campaign. So as 
long as the money lasts, I think he'll he'll be in the race um, because uh, that uh, tends to be his his duty. Uh, how he views his duty. The question is, how long does the money last? How long is he um, actually going to stay in this thing? Um, I think John Kasich, you know, if he wins Vermont, I think that may be a boost to him in the state of Ohio. It certainly would make his campaign look a little bit less like a vanity effort. Um, and uh, and even the strong second may may help uh, folks back home take it more seriously, where he does have a very strong uh, popularity rating. And so that, I think, continues to be his end game. Um, I think for Marco Rubio, certainly uh, there are a lot of states that vote that are going to vote between now and March 18th, and he's and certainly he's got to win Florida. How reliable the polls are there and what his organization is like in that state, uh, again, we've had limited polling in uh, Florida, and we've found a lot of bad polling tonight. Um, Oklahoma, way off um, in the limited polls. Virginia, way off. Um, and so a lot remains to be seen how this is going to play out between now and March 18th and the rest of the campaign. All right. Well, I think we've about covered everything. Um, again, no call in the state of Vermont, and Alaska hasn't closed yet. And we'll decide, and we'll find out whether uh, Alaska will vote for a same person or whether it will be half baked Alaska tonight. Um, but that will be learned later. Well, you know, I have heard tell that Mike Huckabee's daughter is now working for the Trump campaign. I don't. I, I've lost a lot of respect for Mike Huckabee for not coming out forcefully and to stop this. Well, his daughter works for campaigns. She worked for Palente, and he, he hasn't endorsed, and he doesn't intend on endorsing uh, anyone in this race at this point. And Well, I would hope not. I kind of got the impression that he might be willing to... Um, Endorse Trump. I, I hope not. I, I pray not. Yeah, I, I think I think that really endorsing Donald Trump at this, you know, I think if he does get to be the nominee, um, every Republican candidate has pledged to support the nominee. Um, I, and I think I can understand and respect people who stick to that pledge. I can also understand people who said. Okay, I had no idea um, that this could be the nominee. This is a bridge too far. But I can understand people who who just say, "I made the pledge. I'm keeping the pledge, etc." But I think that there's a great there's a great risk and very little reward for coming out for Donald Trump at this point in the proceedings. Yeah, if it's me, I'm staying quiet um, until until all this is over. I'm kind of curious how this is all going to play out with the Republican National Committee and with 
the state executive committee here in Tennessee? Is everybody just going to uh, endorse Trump wholesale? You know, I've talked to a few people, but I don't get that impression because they're real thrilled about doing that. People in, in shall we say, a little bit higher up positions in the party. Yeah, and Mitch McConnell has basically talked about throwing Trump over um, in order to hold the Senate, which is pretty sound strategy. Um, if, it, if it really, uh, I only know one person that thinks Trump's going to win in November. Now, I do have some respect for that individual's political prowess, but I think in this case that he is wrong. I think he is dead wrong. And I hope that, as I said at the top, I hope that I'm wrong. I hope that I'm wrong. I hope that everything that I think about Donald Trump turns out to be a crow-eat. I, I hope that I am on this air and everywhere else I've said it, repenting and talking about the greatness of President Trump. But I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, yeah. I, I think that really... Yeah, it's a situation that the party is going to have to work with, you know, whether you can work through the process, whether there's a third party. Uh, there are a lot of questions that uh, have to be answered, and certainly there's a lot of time between now and July. And, of course, um, as was mentioned, Donald Trump does face um, – deposition in his fraud case on Trump University. Um, and there now, How's that going to play out? We now have two presidential candidates, uh, candidates that are facing court cases. One, Hillary Clinton, could be facing indictment, although I think that's going to be conveniently held off until after the election when she can pardon herself or otherwise make it go away, um, if she is if presuming that she holds on and is elected. Um but we we have uh, the possibility of of two presidential candidates, the nominees of each party, in serious serious legal trouble. Yeah. Uh, what does this tell us about the state of affairs? I mean, this should really concern everyone. But I, I'm just amazed. Everybody's turning a blind eye, and you know, this is all just one big festive festival of let's trash the establishment. Let's not care about the background of the person we're trashing them with, but uh, let's let's um, let's just trash the establishment for the sake of trashing the establishment. It almost sounds like the French Revolution is what it reminds me of. Well, or the or the Russian Revolution. Uh, Senator Rubio compared it to uh, somebody marrying a bad person in order to anger their parents. Um, and it's That's like, actually a pretty good comparison. That's what it reminds me of. We're, we want to get mad at the establishment. Let's let's nominate. Let's nominate morally the morally unthinkable. Um, well, and the thing is, you know, I, I think that a lot is that if Trump is nominated and he loses, he goes down in flames. Um, it's going to make a lot of people less likely to support anti-establishment candidates um, in the future, and I think it will also, you know, it will have a very, you know, it'll have a very negative effect for anybody who wants to bring any change. And 
Um, I, I, it's going to be very hard after this election. If Trump loses as badly as some of the projections now are saying, if that turns out to be the case, um, it is going to be very difficult for the conservative elements within the party that have traditionally challenged the establishment yeah. to go legitimately ever again, ever again. Yeah, so many people compromising their credibility. But we are not, and um, we're going to go ahead and call it a night, and um, I will be back with a podcast on Saturday as we talk about the races on Saturday and then next Tuesday. If you do have a comment, send it to me, adam at adamsweb.us. But from Boise, Idaho, this is uh, – For David Oatney, this is Adam Graham, and we're signing off. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done.